Hey all, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. On today's show, Bishop Frank Caggiano will talk to us about prayer. But first, Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by the Knights of Columbus Museum, where you and your family will enjoy a journey through history, art, and faith. Mark your calendars for Sunday, March 15, when Father Paul Lanyu, a priest of the Ukrainian Catholic Diocese of Stamford and egg artist extraordinaire, will present a free public lecture on the history and practice of Pasanki at 2 p.m. The custom of colorfully and ornately painted eggs date to pre-Christian times, but have a solid place in the Ukrainian church today. Father Paul will explain its history and significance and describe the precise and time-intensive process of designing and painting the eggs. He'll also share examples of his artwork in many sizes. The Knights of Columbus Museum is at 1 State Street in New Haven, easily off exit 47 from I-95. The talk is Sunday, March 15 at 2 p.m. Admission and parking are free. To learn more, call 203-865-0400 or visit KOFC Museum on the web or social media. I want to thank you all for tuning in again to Let Me Be Frank. I'm Steve Lee. I'm the head of Veritas Catholic Network, and it is my great pleasure to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's great to be with you again. Thanks so much, Excellency. We're one week in, and we've had a pretty good reception so far to the show. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. A, a number of people have mentioned it, and therefore it's great for Veritas Radio as well, that we could kind of get people to start listening to the program. It's a great program. Yeah. And, and uh, just great for, great for the audience, hopefully. That's the most important. Mm-hmm. So uh, today's topic is going to be on prayer. Um, before we get to that in the second segment, I'd like to just take a few minutes and look around the church. I have a, uh, a couple questions because mm-hmm. I know uh, over the past few months now, American bishops have been going and having their ad limina visits mm-hmm. with the Holy Father. So like, maybe let's start at the beginning. What is an ad limina visit? An ad limina visit is the required visit that every bishop has to go to Rome and to pray at the tombs of Peter and Paul and to give an assessment of the life of the diocese. So in preparation, you put this big report together. I mean, ours was almost 300 pages long. And it would go to the uh, congregation of bishops. And what they do is they synthesize a summary of all those reports for each region. So I went with the New England bishops. It was the second unlimited visit I had. And I must tell you, it was a very different experience than than the first. Explain. Well, the first, I was an auxiliary. So I wasn't really at the forefront of giving much input. So I observed. And the tone of it was much more of... um, of a grilling, if I may put it that way. And in one congregation in particular, it was actually accusatory. We hear you're doing this, this, this. Please explain why you're doing X, Y, and Z. So I said, wow, this is quite an experience. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This time around, it was a very different experience. And it reflects what Pope Francis had asked, is that, the curia be at service to the bishops. So it was much more of a conversation and it was much more of how can we help you? 
what is it that we can do for you? And when we met the Pope, that was the first question he asked. He asked, well, how was your experience of the Ad Lumina? Oh, wow. And we said, well, some of the bishops who were even much older than I said, Holy Father, it's a much different experience. And he leaned back and he said, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> so overall, it's meant to be a dialogue. Okay. And from the Holy Father's point of view, I mean, my gosh, he, he does how many of these visits, these groups a year? But it does give him a sense, I would think, overall of the, t the tone and the flavor of what's going on in the church. So is he seeing a sort of summary of the region's report before he sits down with you? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. And in the United States, there were 15 visits, 15 groups, because there are 15 regions. And I'm sure there was commonality in a lot of those reports. Right. And then um, do you leave the Vatican then with some sort of instructions or action items to put into place? Or is it just he wants to get a flavor for what's happening from your perspective? Well, we do get feedback from the individual congregations because there were a number of them we visited. And it depends on what the questions were. Um, for example, with the Cardinal McCarrick report, almost all the visits asked. Right. And we have some sense of what the timeline for, for that is, which is probably very soon that a report would be given out. And we impressed the importance of it, that it be open and transparent. We talked about the abuse crisis and we had some very interesting and good advice on the canonical process that's in, involved with that. In Catholic education, we talked about schools and the difficulties we're experiencing in the United States with enrollment and finances. In other parts of the world, schools are booming. Wow. See, so part of what I come away with is there isn't one narrative for the whole church. And to be the global shepherd of this church is beyond daunting. It's, it's almost beyond a human capability just to be able to get a sense of what's going on and, and how it's so varied in, right. the, in the world. Mm -hmm. right? So we, there was some very practical advice. And, and to my surprise, I asked a question of a curial official who will go nameless. And six days after I returned, he emailed me the full response. I looked at my screen three times. <laughs> to thought, am I imagine? Am I awake? <laughs> and there it was—the full answer. Wow! Yeah, it was amazing. He's the Holy Father. Is I, I you can tell me if uh, previous popes were like this too, but he's so hands-on. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And and like you said, the job is so mm -hmm. big. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a pastor. Yeah. That's his background. That's what he's comfortable with. With us, he was very fraternal. So in the room, there were, I believe there were 19 of us from New England, the Pope and a translator. Once the photos were done, everybody left and it was just us. It was two and a half hours of conversation. Wow. I think almost all the bishops had some intervention or some part to play in the conversation. Before we began, the Pope said, here's the water. And behind that door is the bathroom because we're all human. <laughs> I said, wow. <laughs> and we just had a free-flowing conversation. So it's, it, was, it was a pastor, obviously the pastor, talking among other pastors with a referent that we share because he himself was a pastor and a diocesan bishop. So he knows. Yes. Um, so that was extremely comfortable for me much more than I thought it would be. 
Because then you walk in, it's the Pope's, I mean, a lot of trepidation. Do, how do I sit? Where do I look? <laughs> <laughs> but after a while, it was just, and when I spoke twice, he said to me, now, brother, this is how I would address that question. Those are the exact words. Wow. Right. I thought, wow. So some brother to have is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just, re it's really nice to hear that there's this fraternal uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interaction, you know? Mm -hmm. He's the Holy Father, and so he's our father in the mm -hmm. spiritual sense, mm -hmm. but, you know, he's also your colleague. He's also our father. That came across. Yeah. He said more than once, I recognize the difficult position you have and how, how many challenges you face and how angry people are at times with what has gone on. And I recognize you carry that burden, and I am here to try to help you to do that. Which I, for me personally and spiritually, was a tremendous encouragement. He, I mean, each individual bishop still needs to lead and make some difficult decisions. But nonetheless, to have the spiritual support means all, I mean, it's tremendously valuable. So that was my ultimate takeaway from the Ad Liminer, is that the Holy Father, I firmly believe, understands himself to be the pastor of his bishops and genuinely is concerned about them and certainly prays for them. That was very clear. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, there is some collaboration between you, among you and the New England bishops before you went there, just to mm -hmm. make sure. Um, is there... How much do you work together with other bishops here just on a kind of a mm -hmm. regular basis? Well, actually fairly regularly. Um, we have a region and we have a province. Actually, there are two provinces in the region. We're region one, but then there is the, the, um, the province of Hartford, which is Bridgeport, Hartford, Norwich, and Providence. And then in Boston has all the rest. Mm -hmm. So we meet three times a year just to talk things over, issues. There was a time, actually, we, we were getting together twice a year just for dinner and fraternity. Oh, wow. And then in the last maybe year, I mean, schedules were very hard to mesh, but Archbishop Blair had mentioned before we left Rome that we need to get back to that and just be able to support each other on a human level, personal level, right? Yeah. Tell jokes, laugh, have a nice dinner. Yes. For us Italians, that solves most of the problems <laughs> in the world, right? So, I mean, <laughs> and... Um, and then we do formal business with the conference and stuff. So yeah, it is. And, and that's helpful because I'm still relatively young in the hierarchy. I'm seven years a diocesan bishop. Others have been diocesan bishops for 30 years and they have a heck of a lot more experience than I do. And there's a lot I can learn from them. Right. And they understand, mm -hmm. you know, what the situations you're facing and what you're going mm -hmm. through in a way that no one, I, I certainly couldn't. Right, right. Uh, I, wa I want to look back. A couple weeks ago, um, Pope Francis released his apostolic exhortation following the Amazonian mm -hmm. Synod. Mm -hmm. I know there have been uh, a number of synods overseen by the Holy Father, mm -hmm. and they just announced one for 2022. Mm -hmm. So the question here is, um, again, like we started with that ad limina visits, what is a synod? Mm -hmm. What is a synod's purpose? Mm -hmm. um, excellent question. I think it's basically misunderstood by a lot of people. But there is an office of the Synod in Rome, and it was created um, 
if I'm not mistaken, it was created under St. Paul VI, but I could be wrong, but if not, soon after by John Paul. And its purpose was to allow regular consultation of the bishops on key matters that are identified by the Holy Father. So, for example, all the synod delegates uh, are either elected by the body of bishops in each individual country or are appointed directly by the Holy Father. And they are a cross-section of the whole church. So I had the great pleasure of being one of the synod delegates for the Synod on Youth. Yes. So that was a month with the Holy Father and about 180 other bishops from all over the world talking about the issues that youth find. And once again, is as varied as we are people. Some parts of the world, young people are at the forefront being persecuted for their faith. Pakistani bishop told a story of a young man who was martyred, who was buried alive and martyred, stoned to death for his faith. He would not renounce his faith. And then we have in the United States, in the developed world, we have most of our young people are not in that position, disaffiliating from the church. So how do we address that? So the synod raised all those topics. So the, the Pope called to Synod for 2022. He has not yet told us what the topic is. I guess he's still praying over that. But the Synod on the Amazon just ended. And again, that is an issue one would say, well, why would you have a Synod on the Amazon? Well, I think from the Pope's point of view, it is a symbol of what everyone needs to take into consideration when we talk about ecology and the environment that is a gift God gave us, the world God gave us this gift, not to destroy it, but to have dominion over it and use it correctly. And the Amazon is basically one of the gray variables for what could eventually become a real catastrophic change of climate. So, so, and of course, his exhortation was very much, I kind of think of it as a manifesto of a great dream of how one could imagine the church not only meeting the needs of the local Catholics of the Amazon, but how humanity can come together to really look at itself in a new way right? and treasure what is a great gift, which is the tropical forest, which is the Amazon. Yeah. It's, I mean, the way you put it, it's really beautiful and important. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the, at what makes news is the conclusion of the synod. Mm-hmm. And uh, they issue a final document. The Pope writes an apostolic exhortation. So how should we receive these things? Mm-hmm. And are they, that, that's it. How should we receive How, how do you interpret it? Yes. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, certainly the apostolic exhortation is magisterial teaching. That is his teaching. That has a rank unto itself. But the Holy Father asked us also to consider reading alongside of his absolute exhortation, the final synod report. They are not of equal, I wouldn't say value, but they're not of equal magisterial value. Okay. But I think he does not want all of the work of the synod to be lost just with the, with the final document. Because the other document is much larger, more detailed, and of course, you know, in social media, there's always this controversy. What do we have? What does this mean? That mean? The right. other mean? And my philosophy is just do what you're told. <laughs> just read the, the, the document and pray over it. Right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And social media and, and the bigger media, they'll always seize on certain things that they want to uh, push as, you know, part of their agenda. Right. We've come to the point where we are so divided 
that there cannot be anything neutral that everyone can agree on. In every item that comes forward, there are some who want to use it as a dividing line. And that's just very unfortunate because I think there may be reasons where we would disagree, but start with the commonality first yes. and then discuss the differences rather than the other way around. Right. right? And, and the, first, uh, the first ideas that you talked about with regard to the Amazonian Synod, I mean, we can all agree on that. Of course. Of course. Well, one would hope. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> one would hope. Uh-huh. Uh, I do want to get into one of the questions that was brought up. Um, and because I've received questions about this, mm-hmm. are just about priestly celibacy in mm-hmm. general. So mm-hmm. maybe can you take a few minutes mm-hmm. and just tell us about the history mm-hmm. and the teaching mm-hmm. of what, what that is? Mm-hmm. And this is a very important topic and one that we need to be very sensitive For example, we need to realize in this contemporary age, in the Catholic Church, in the churches that form the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the vast majority of them have married clergy and have had married clergy for centuries. The Latin church, the Roman church, is the largest by far and has had a celibate clergy for over a thousand years. Its origin actually goes back to the patristic era. And there's lots of theological discussion about it. And therefore, one has to realize that you need to understand the image of the priest in relation to Christ himself, who was celibate and chaste and perfect human and fully God. And the availability that comes from celibacy is a great gift of self-sacrifice in ministry. Because those who are married, of which I am not, but those who are married, I obviously, logically, need to spend time with their family, with their children, because that's part of the natural obligations of being a husband, a parent. And if you were married and a priest, that would take away from some of your availability. It's just there aren't any more hours in the day (laughs) to do it all. Right. So, So there is a configuration to Christ that is very compelling in celibacy. There is the disposition of self-sacrifice and time that's very compelling. So it is normative, but it is not necessary. And that's a major distinction because you don't ever want to call into question those who are in the the Eastern churches who are married and are very fine priests who are giving great lives of sacrifice. So I think it, it is a question that has, again, become polemicized. John Paul allowed men who were married to enter from the Anglican order, from the Anglican uh, communion. And they've been reordained, obviously, but they they remain married. And they've done tremendous work. In our diocese, Steve, yes. we've had, we had two priests who were married. Yes. And did phenomenal work. Yes. And still do. And then uh, Pope Benedict created the entire ordinariate. Right? So there were some who thought that Pope Francis would have taken the next step but he didn't. So I think we need to reflect on what that means and what it means to go forward. But from my perspective, I think celibacy is a great gift. Um, bachelorhood is not a great gift. So if a priest is going to enter into life and not understand and embrace fully and completely in a healthy way celibacy, he will do more harm than good to himself and the people he will serve. Right. So that is very clear in my mind. 
Having said that, there are those who are married who have served as priests and have done great work. So in my mind, it is something we need to pray over and reflect on. And as you ask very well, to understand what it is that the church is asking. Thank you. Yes, that's, thank you. Let's, let's go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about prayer. Great. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. We're talking about prayer. So let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. It's the beginning for me, anyway. Life is crazy. Amen to that. <laughs> so how do we fit prayer into our daily schedules? Uh, okay, so we have to distinguish three things. Prayer, prayers, and prayerfulness. So prayer in its largest sense is our communicating, communion, communing with God, which can be done in many ways. It can be done with words. It can be done with experience. It can be done with presence, like in adoration. It is devel developing ever more deeply the relationship we have with God. You know, the funny thing is, as an analogy, you know, when spouses love each other so much and live together for so long, they can communicate just by looking at each other. Is that not the case? Yes, yes, that's true. So you don't need words. So there's communication that's nonverbal. So prayer in the largest sense is that. Prayers are the formal prayers that we know. And I mean, we learned them when we were little kids. Essential, in part, to focus our thoughts on who it is we are addressing. So that's why the rosary is so beautiful, because the rosary is a meditative prayer mm -hmm. to keep your eyes fixed on the mysteries of what you're thinking about or reflecting on. And then there's prayerfulness. In Thessalonians, we hear, pray always. You say to yourself, what does that mean? <laughs> and when you consider it, it's St. Paul, who is not a romantic, and he means exactly what he means. You have to struggle with that. And what I've come to understand that to be is a disposition to recognize God everywhere. Beautiful sunset. Oh, isn't that lovely? No, that's, that's God's presence in our midst, giving us this experience of beauty. Or a baby was born. Isn't that a miracle? Yeah, it's a miracle precisely because without God, this child could not be here. There's no chance. There's no luck. There's no coincidence. You know, it's only grace. So in my mind, when we say about the craziness of life, some moments of our day are gonna be devoted to prayer, which may include prayers. And then a good part of our day can be prayerful, even though it's busy. Yeah. You attune your mind and your eyes 
in your heart to recognize God wherever he surprises you. Does that make sense? It makes sense. It doesn't sound easy to do. No, it never is. Nothing in life worthwhile is ever easy. Right. My father used to tell me that all the time. Right. But listen, long time ago, my spiritual director told me, Frank, you will always find the time to do the things you want. Mm. So do you really want to pray? Don't tell me you're too busy because you're not too busy to forget to go to sleep or to have a meal or to make a call if someone, so do you really want this? So it's all about what are the desires of our heart and what's the holy desire? I just I had the privilege of offering a retreat to the seminarians of theological college at the beginning of January. And that was the theme. The theme was hope. And the theme was this holy desire. What is it you really want? So yeah, it is difficult, but it's doable if we really want it. Right. And in this Lent, should we not ask that question? Yes. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a question about the, um, I guess, mechanics for uh, mm -hmm. lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're taught that there are four parts of prayer. There's the adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. Mm -hmm. And I know I tend to spend a lot of time asking in the supplication. Mm -hmm. how, can you help me with the other three parts? You know, how do we develop the adoration and the contrition and the thanksgiving? Well, let's start with contrition. Okay. I think it is a great spiritual practice for every person to end their day with an examination of conscience, which is not meant to take a stick and beat yourself up but it really is meant in an honest reliving, like looking over the day, where did I fail? Versus God, versus my neighbor, or versus myself. So for example, if I spent an entire day and did not pray, I failed myself because I'm the one who's cheapened, not God. You know, preface four in the, in the mass. You have no need of our praise, yet our desire to thank you is itself your good. Our prayers add nothing to your greatness, but they help us to grow in grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a beautiful summary of why we pray. God wants us to be healed. So, contrition. Every night, we should be on our knees or in some place where we could admit. Adoration is the recognition that we are not God. Adoration is to open our hearts to adore and give proper worship to the one who is the source of everything. Sometimes, you know, when I visit with people and I speak about gratitude, I say to them, well, you know what? The very next breath you just took, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's given to you as a gift. And when your work is done, God will bring you to glory. Don't you think we should recognize like <laughs> the proper order of things? So that's in a sense. So adoration could be before the blessed sacrament, which is the, I think in many ways, the richest and most obvious ways to adore. But there are other ways to do it as well. And when you put your children to sleep and you look into their faces, and they look angelic then, I guess, right? <laughs> After they're sleeping. <laughs> After they're sleeping. But you see, you see the beauty and the greatness of God. So uh, there are ways to, to fit it into the crazy world in which we live. And then Steve, the other thing we have to ask is, why are we so busy? 
Like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> I can't go to mass. Why? Because I have to go to soccer game and yoga and wherever, whatever crazy stuff they're doing. And I'm thinking to myself, but you think that's the greater good? So cut some of that out. And for some reason, we live in such a consumeristic society that we just have to do more and more and more and more and more. And then you forget what's better. Or over this plethora of all good things, we forget what is better, we forget what is best. Yeah. In the end, it's, it's the Christian life is not possible without the proper exercise of the will, which really means to make the right choices. It sounds so obvious and so simple, but it escapes all of us at one time or another. And prayer is one of them. Yeah. It's almost, again, like I remember when I was a kid and I would take for granted mom and dad, particularly my mother. My mother slaved for us. She cooked for us. She cleaned for us. And there was a long period of time, never a thank you, never. And then finally I came to a recognition. And the recognition came when my mother first got sick, that there will be a day when there will be no mom here. So what am I waiting for? So that sense of taking things for granted, who do we take for granted more than anybody else is God, is the Lord Jesus. Because he's always supposed to be there. He's always supposed to forgive us. Yes, of course he will. But it's our obligation to grow in greatness and holiness for him. Like I said to the young men at Fairfield Prep, I said, he's our captain. Who's going to follow into battle? Who's going to do that? Are you ready? You have to choose to do that. I can't tell you to do that. Or I can't ask someone else to choose for me. So the will and the choices we make, again, in Lent, is a great opportunity to sit down and say, why am I making these choices? Let me, uh, let me ask you about the supplication part of things. Mm -hmm. Because um, several weeks ago, I went to a men's ministry group on a Saturday morning, mm -hmm. and we talked about the parable in Luke's Gospel, mm -hmm. where... Uh, the man is knocking on his neighbor's door at midnight to get bread oh. <laughs> for the visitor. My type of guy. Keep knocking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So the question came up, though. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, God already knows what we need. Mm -hmm. He loves us. Mm -hmm. He wants to help us. So why do we have to keep asking? Why do we have to be mm -hmm. persistent? Uh, now you have hit a question that vexes a lot of people which is related to why when I pray, do, not, do I not get what I asked for? Let's leave that aside for now. Why do I need to pray at all? You are absolutely correct. God knows everything you and I need. And he knows what is best for us, even though we may not know what is best for us. And because God is love, he will always grant us that which is best for us, even if we have not asked for it, even if we do not desire it. Sometimes what's best for us is no. Sometimes what's best for us is to be corrected. But it's always done because if we trust in his love, we will be healed, made whole, be able to face whatever challenge there is. So in the end, St. Augustine says, we pray not to convince God, but to prepare our own hearts to receive that which he wishes to give. So if my heart is, I'm making this up, 
a size one, and the gift God wants to give me is size three. If I have not opened my heart in supplication, waiting to receive, if I haven't stretched my heart to desire what God wants to give me, then I can't receive size three. My heart will be too small. So prayer really is not so much to convince God, but it's to prepare us to receive that which God wants to give us all along. Perfect example in my life, which was very hard for me, okay? I'm the professional, right? I'm the priest, the bishop, the whole thing. Right. When my mother was dying. My mother was dying, she was 77 years old. She had not been sick really seriously till she was 76. She developed non-small cell lung cancer. The diagnosis was on the Feast of the Guardian Angels. I'll never forget it. I came home. Mom was still processing it. I went online once. And the very first line I read, and I don't even forget what the website was, that for those patients who have non-small cell lung cancer, the average life expectancy is 13 months. So I clicked it off, never went back. I look back, and that was the Lord telling me, this is the time you have. So that was 13 months of having my heart have to be stretched to recognize that if this was what the Lord wanted of my mom to bring her to this life, please God, to a life of eternity and glory, then I could not allow my own needs, desires, wants, and selfishness to keep her. And it took me, a long, it took me way past the 13 months because as she was dying, my only refrain to God was, why is this happening? Yeah. And then it was months and months later that I finally came to peace when I recognized the gift God really was trying to give me. First, that he gave me, and we did tremendous, we went to Lourdes, we went to Fatima, we went to Rome. We, so that was a gift in and of itself. But God knew what was best for my mother. He didn't ask me. He knew I needed to come to accept that. So that's what I mean about the desire of the heart. And sometimes we're slow learners. <laughs> yeah. I guess, so um, my, then that brings up to me, how do, we, how do we know then when God is speaking to us and how do we know what he wants for us, what his will is? That's discernment of spirits. And that is an art that is developed over time. Because the truth is, when I was 20 years old, I saw life in a certain way. I'm, I'll be 61 in a few weeks. I see life in a different way. And therefore, I could recognize God's presence differently now at 61 than I did when I was 20. So how do you recognize God's presence? How do you recognize? Well, consider all the ways he speaks to us. He speaks to us directly. He speaks to us in the mind by the things we read. He speaks to us in the heart when he moves us in so many different ways. He speaks to us through the people we love in their life. He speaks to us in the events of our lives. Like for example, when I was a little boy and I had a rheumatic fever, I was 10 years old. And all my friends, all my great friends who we hung out with and played stickball, all that stuff, nobody came to visit. Nobody, because their mothers wouldn't let them, because it was like they thought this was contagious, you know, who knows what they were thinking. 
And God spoke to me powerfully in that because the only person who came to the, of course my parents did, my sister did, was the deacon assigned to the parish. He came once a week and we played Monopoly on the, on, on the bed because I, I had to stay in bed, on the bed for almost two hours a week. God was speaking to me. In many ways, he was laying the foundation for me to recognize the great gift he wanted to give me, which is, I think, my vocation. So the events speak to us too. It, you just need the clarity of mind. So in the end, if you want to discern spirits, you have to create silence in your life. You're going back to what you said about the busyness. If you're so busy all the time, then God can't reveal his presence because you are too distracted to see it, hear it, or intuit it. Right? Yeah. It sounds like you're saying he's always talking to us. Exactly. We just have to exactly. be open. Exactly. Right. And, and be ready to be surprised because God will reveal himself in like the burning bush, in the strangest places, in the most remarkable ways, and the most ordinary ways. And if we're looking this way, right, and he's in the left, then we have to learn to look both ways. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I have a book that really, um, I think, changed my life was uh, Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Mm -hmm. And in that book, the lesser demon Wormwood is encouraged to tempt his subject uh, to turn prayer into something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, and unregularized because Screwtape said that for beginners at prayer, this will bear a superficial resemblance to the prayer of silence as practiced by those who are very far advanced. So my question to you is, how do we get from that first ineffective, inwardly focused state to the advanced state. Okay, so now go back to your example. If someone wants to run and is only capable of crawling, you only fall flat on your face. And the great mystics had that experience, exactly that was described. But it was after years and years of discipline, of faithfulness, so that God molded them and their ability to hear and see what perhaps others could not hear and see. But it doesn't just go hand it over to you, congratulations, here you are. You're not an Olympic gold medalist by saying, here you are, six years old, here's your, <laughs> right? So same thing with prayer, it's a discipline. So the fallacy there is, you could get to the finish line. No, yes, you can, but no, you're not gonna do it in a day. So the, all the things we talked about, the disciplines, should be part of all of our lives as we mature, because there will come a time please God, where we will no longer always need words, that the communion is truly contemplative. And, and you can intuit God's presence in a way that is so deeply profound that it is very much an inward experience. But you have climbed the mountain to do that. If you don't climb the mountain, you're only talking to yourself then. Right. Right? Yes which doesn't make you praying, it just makes you crazy. Right, right, and, and, and unfortunately in our world where, where we're told you should always be number one, everybody should get a prize, and you don't have to work hard to get the things you need or want, you fall right into that trap. It's the great bane of entitlement. I should have, well, what do you should have? What are you gonna do? Should have what? In the end, <laughs> my father would say, what should you have? Right. 
but God's generous to give it all. Yeah. Again, but we have to receive it, right? We have to be ready to receive it. Yes. And if it's a communication, or if it's a conversation, God's always talking to us and we should talk back. Um, is there a, a good way to get kind of proficient at spontaneous prayer versus the f formalized prayers? For me personally, it's always in some moment of silence and preferably in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. I recommend to, to people that an hour is a very long time to sit in complete silence because we wander. So many times you bring spiritual reading, but do not fill the whole hour with spiritual reading. You need to spend some time simply in silence because that is when you begin to intuit God's presence. It may come when you're glancing at a stained glass window and now suddenly something strikes you. That's God speaking to you. Or you're looking off and suddenly a, a, a line of scripture comes to mind just out of the blue. That's God speaking to you. Hmm. You know, It may sound awfully, almost simplistic, but God makes it easy <laughs> for us. He knows who we are. Yeah. He makes it easy for us. So I would think that that's works for me. And I would, I would hope it could work for some of our listeners if they haven't tried to just try. Did you want to talk about, uh, you mentioned during the break, the face of prayer? Yes. Well, we have this initiative, the face of prayer, which is a multifaceted program. And basically there is a, a, a web-based where young people have asked questions of faith and many people have given them answers. And we're trying to now find a way to utilize that in catechesis and classrooms and all the rest. And then there's also a component where each day people are text and intention and asked to pray. And we have thousands of people receiving texts, myself included, usually midday, like between 12-ish and 3, 3.30. And it's just a simple reminder of the prayerfulness of life. Offer the prayer, offer the Hail Mary. And it's amazing how it, reor at least for me, how it reorients me, especially in all my administration, of what we're really all about. Mm -hmm. So, and so it's an initiative that I have great pride in, right? Um, I want to grow it even further. I want to unlock the potential of media in it so that, see, this is the insight, if I may, Steve. If you look at young people disaffiliating with the church, St. Mary's Press in their study, Going, Going, Gone, indicated that that occurs when young people have questions for which they do not get coherent answers. And you have enough questions that do not get answered. You're not necessarily hostile, you're indifferent. You say to yourself, this is too much work to figure out, I'm going my own way. Right, yeah. So. That's the whole heart of Face of Prayer, is to raise questions young people have and try to give them reasonable, cogent, faithful answers. It's almost like having a video catechism. So I'm excited about it. It still continues to grow. We have much work to do on it, but that's where we're at. So how can a young person sign up or, or get involved? Well, you can text PRAY, P-R-A-Y, P -R -A -Y, to 55778 to receive the daily prayers. So it, that's text P-R-A-Y to 55778. Okay. Um, 
And then as this develops, maybe we could talk about it in later episodes. Yeah, that'd be mm -hmm. fantastic. Uh, one last question that I have. What are some books that you could recommend for developing the spiritual life? Let's say uh, if you could give a couple for beginners and then a couple more advanced mm -hmm. books. The one book that when I was young had a really profound impact on me was The Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton and his journey of conversion and faith. I remember, I was, believe it or not, I read it at the college seminary. I had not read it before. I was just beginning the college seminary. And in its very human and direct manner, how he came to faith and how that developed into religious life, I think is exactly what young people are struggling with. How to find God in their life, how to climb the mountain mm -hmm. to Christ. Mm -hmm. So I would highly recommend that. Uh, to be honest, a lot of my reading now is patristic reading. So I'm not sure it's necessarily for the beginners. And, and, and the only reason I say that is because I love the fathers of the church. They are the most brilliant preachers we have had. I mean, John Chrysostom and Gregory of Nyssa and St. Augustine. I mean, that is the best of the best. Yeah. And the readings are their homilies. Like many of them didn't write treatises. They basically taught through their homilies, which is what exactly the people of God keep asking for. Homilies that they enrich and they can teach, learn their faith. So Ming has them, but there's a whole collections. And I would recommend to everyone who really wants to jump into the deep waters to go online, go on Amazon, go to your nearest bookstore, find a book of the homilies of St. John Chrysostom and just read them. Hmm. Just read them maybe one a week and just reflect on them. But talk about clarity, courage, direct, honest, frank. Oh my God, they were frank way before this frank was ever born. <laughs> <laughs> and compelling, compelling. For example, there was one line that just burned in my memory. John Chrysostom says, God does not desire golden chalices. He desires golden hearts. Oh my God, you could spend a month reflecting on that. Yeah. So the homilies of the fathers, I would suggest, and even online you could find them. So you don't even have to buy a book. That is very fruitful reading. Right. Start with John Chrysostom. Oh, and yeah. And Gregor then, of Nyssa. Right. And then go on to St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, let's take one more break before Bishop Frank comes back and answers some of your questions. I enjoy listening to Catholic Radio because I always find myself edified through the prayer, the rosary, but also the great teaching. Catholic Radio not only reaches the hearts of people, it also reaches into their homes. It transforms individuals, but it also renews marriages and families. That is at the heart of what it means to have Catholic culture. It's the greatest gift we can give to America. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. Okay, Bishop Frank, now's the time in the show when I get to read some of the questions that have come in for you. Easy questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'll be grading you on these, by the way. Oh, gosh. 
hopeless. <laughs> okay, let's start with Betty. Betty has two questions about the 40 days of Lent. Mm -hmm. She asks, upon what tradition or writings are the 40 days based and which are the actual days? I remember being told as a child that Sundays are not counted as part of Lent, nor are the days of the Triduum. Some say that Lent is based on Christ's 40 days in the desert, even though this would have been at the beginning of his public ministry, not the Passion. Correct. My understanding is that Lent is our entrance into the desert to prepare for the Paschal Mystery, and therefore it is modeled after the biblical experience that Jesus had 40 days in the desert. And of course, 40 is very important. I mean, there were 40 years in the desert for the God's people. So I think that's the biblical referent. Um, she is absolutely, Betty, you are absolutely correct that if you count the beginning of Lent, which is Ash Wednesday, to the conclusion of Lent, which is Holy Thursday, exclusive of the Lord's Supper. So Lent ends with dusk on Holy Thursday. It is actually 46 days. So the 40 days of Lent are the weekdays of Lent, not the Sundays of Lent. And Sunday, by its very, very nature, is not meant to be a day of fast or even of abstinence because we celebrate the Lord's resurrection in all 52 Sundays of the year. But they are Sundays in the season of Lent, so they do have a penitential character to them in the readings and all the rest. And therefore, if a person chooses a Lenten discipline and chooses to extend it even into the Sundays, that's wonderful, right? Technically, though, you need not do that, but that would be wonderful. I do that. I mean, there's no point in segregating the Sundays in that sense. So I think she's, Betty, you are correct that it is more than 40 days, counting the Sundays, that it is based on the biblical experience of Jesus and that purification. So Jesus exits the desert to begin his ministry, we exit, exit the desert to enter into his Paschal mystery, to enter into our ministry. Greg and Betty, looks like a different Betty, wrote in from Holy Name of Jesus in Stratford. Mm -hmm. They would like to know if you can recommend some good reading for this Lenten season. They'd like to see if you can recommend something they asked for along the lines of the early church history or the lives of the saints or contemporary theologians. Mm -hmm. Or they said, if you have something completely different, okay. that works. Too. So I'll give one, you give one. Okay. Okay. Um, I am a great admirer of, of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Tremendous catechist, tremendous apologist. And he was in many ways a man who could take the faith and practically apply it. But there was a deep spirituality, and I am praying for his beatification, that we will see that day very soon. And he wrote a book on the last words of Jesus, which is beautiful. It's not very long. It's beautiful. So as a spiritual suggestion, I would suggest that to Greg and Betty, that would be a book that they could read, which would not be an onerous amount to read, but would give them an opportunity to reflect in the desert where we're going. We're going to Calvary, and then we're going to the empty tomb. That would be my suggestion. Great. I'm, I'm working my way through a book by a Jesuit priest named Father Walter Chiswick. And he spent a number of years in a Siberian prison camp. Mm -hmm. And so he came back and he wrote a book called With God in Russia, which was what the publishers wanted to write about his actual 
adventure, for lack of a better way to put it. But he wrote this book with, that I'm reading now called He Leadeth Me, which is his spiritual journey through that time. And he said that's the book he originally wanted to read. So that's, that's what I'm going through right now. So a contemporary witness of faith that struggled. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. And we would love to hear from all of you. Send us your comments about the show or your questions for Bishop Frank. Email questions at veritascatholic.com. Thanks for another great week, Bishop Frank. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you, too. Let Me Be Frank is sponsored by the Knights of Columbus Museum. Check out kofcmuseum.org. And you can find us on social media. Look for Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're there, too, if you search for Veritas Catholic Network. And the podcast of today's show will be up this afternoon on Apple, Google, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, and on the Veritas Catholic Network app. Phew. Wow. <laughs> you are one busy man. <laughs> <laughs> and so are you. <laughs> um, but we're fitting in time for prayer, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Your Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue to walk this Lenten journey, renew our minds and hearts, purify our desires, give strength to our hands and to our will, that we may be ever more perfectly your missionaries of hope and joy in the world, that the word of salvation who is Christ will come to every heart who longs for you and for the glory of eternal life. We make this our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you, Steve. See you next week. Thank you.